Hey, Jim. Hey, Phil. You watched that video? Oh, my God. Yeah, it was very, very moving. Because when I was reading the article again, it referenced this um, epidemic of loneliness and isolation in relationship to the landmark warning in the, in the 60s of smoking. And talking about how this the epidemic of loneliness will have some historic significance when we look back on it. You had happened to send me an article a couple of months back entitled, We Know the Cure for Loneliness, So Why Do We Suffer? It's an opinion piece by Nicholas Kristof in the New York Times, and it was written in September. I will put a, a link to it in the description of this episode so folks who are listening can read the article in its entirety. But I'm just going to read the, the opening section of it, and then we'll just uh, discuss uh, loneliness and how we interact with it here in this in, at High Five and also in our industry, and maybe how um, we hope to try to uh, mitigate some of that in adventure education and the work that we get to do. The article starts, loneliness crushes the soul, but researchers are finding it does far more damage than that. It is linked to strokes, heart disease, dementia, inflammation, and suicide. It breaks the heart literally as well as figuratively. Loneliness is as deadly as smoking 15 cigarettes a day and more lethal than consuming six alcoholic drinks a day, according to the Surgeon General of the United States, Dr. Vivek Murphy. Loneliness is more dangerous for health than obesity, he says. And alas, we have been growing more lonely. A majority of Americans now report experiencing loneliness based on a widely used scale that asks questions such as whether people lack companionship or feel left out. Yet there are solutions as well, approaches that build connections and bind us together. Britain is the pioneer of these efforts, having established the post of Minister for Loneliness in 2018. Britain oversees public-private partnerships that collectively knit millions of people together with programs like nature walks, songwriting workshops, and community litter pickups. I stop us there only because I wanted to like highlight the fact that in Britain, in the UK, there is the Minister for Loneliness. Of course, we don't have that here in the US. Everything I'm sort of detailing there strikes at the notion that connection, which is something that's core to the work that we do, both at High Five and in the industry of adventure education, is so important. And yet, I don't know if we take it seriously enough. Jim, I invite you to talk about maybe your last year and your last year and a half's experience, because I think what that highlights very powerfully is the potential for loneliness and maybe how you've resolved to counter loneliness, even in your experience. When we started High Five, which is now 24 years ago, one of the things we were determined to do was that a, a real person would always answer the phone. So unless all four lines were busy, you would not get a tape recording. So you weren't sent through these cycles of, you know, non-people. And it's one of the things we've heard over the years that people just enjoy so much. They call up, they know they're going to get a person that actually they can talk to and connect with and, and probably solve their problems. In fact, that's what they need to do. Yeah, my experience this past year and a half, you know, <laughs> you know, where do I begin? You know, I got diagnosed with leukemia in July of 2022 and then had a long stay of 25 or 30 days for the first stay in the hospital. And then that went on for about four months and, you know, went through a period of getting a stem cell transplant and then another 30 days. So I think in the end, it was about 77 days, you know, in the hospital, which is a is a long haul. That's a lot of time on your own, so to speak. I've always been such an advocate of connecting and 
think I've told you before, I come, you know, when I'd always come to the office, spend the first half hour kind of roaming around, just saying hello to people and things like that. And what I found in my uh, hospital stay was kind of interesting because that I would get dressed every day. I'd, and as soon as I was ready to go, I would just go out in the hallways and start walking. And when you were walking, you didn't have the isolation of your room and you could, you know, see the various nurses stations. And very rarely did you see another patient. It was just kind of different. People just, you know, I guess they stayed in their rooms. But then oddly enough, there were three of us that connected, uh, me and two other patients, and had pretty much similar situations in terms of, uh, you know, a leukemia diagnosis and going through a transplant. And we formed a walking group. And we <laughs> made me think of it in the article you mentioned, because they had gardening groups and you know, just how people would get together. We would walk pretty much every day because when you're, there's not a whole lot to do. You know, you, you get your treatment and then you just kind of hang around. And I'm not a, not a big a TV person and was kind of committed to making sure I didn't do anything that was hospital behavior for the most part. So I never stayed in the bed, never made my bed at the, in the morning <laughs> and get up and then we'd walk. And sometimes we'd walk like five miles around the hospital, which just takes a lot of time. And they had, one area that was 40 laps to a mile. So that gives you an idea how small <laughs> the area was. And we formed such a bond in, in the worst of circumstances, you know, just that we all shared the same, we were frightened, you know, it's an unknown and that sort of thing. You know, we would walk and talk and connect. And then I remember the nurses saying one day, because they can't connect you. It's uh, it's weird, but, you know, HIPAA rules or whatever. And they were thrilled, so thrilled that we met one another. They said, we've never had that before in the hospital. And I said, why? How is that possible? And she said, they would say, you know, people just either they don't come out of their room or they, you know, don't get out of their bed or whatever. So they, they would take photos and things and try, you know, of us walking around. It was, it was somewhat comical. In the worst of circumstances, like I've found in most of life, it was really sustaining me. You know, there would be visits and text messages and emails and phone calls. And those were the things over all those days that I think sustained me and gave me strength more than anything. To just be there and be in your head with all that was going on, you know, was was very, very unhealthy. You know, they have data on this, but they, you know, they oftentimes, I don't think a good attitude or, you know, the positivity of connections alone can beat back cancers, <laughs> you know, your, your health situation. But they, they're convinced it's a huge contributing factor as, as that article references. So, to sort of experience some of what that article is talking about, you know, a pretty crazy way for the last 18 months has been, has been something. And it just affirmed and confirmed in me, you know, what I've always felt. But, you know, I, I would Zoom every night with my family, Colleen and Corey, and I knew that that hour was going to be the time that we would have to really connect in addition to maybe a visit during the day or something. So I, I don't think anything got me through it more than than being connected constantly. And I'd see others there who, you know, they didn't have that. And it was kind of sad. I mean, everybody's situation is different, I guess. It's very rare, I think, probably in our lifetimes that we truly get to experience the power of connection in the same way that you were able to experience it with a very serious diagnosis and have connection be a positive influence on your health. And there's something very isolating about the idea of hospitals anyway. It's a very stale environment. So the fact that you're able to connect with people and and create a group like that is, I don't know, it, it, for me, it feels very telling and it, it reaffirms the power of the work that we do, which is kind of leads me into my next thing. I think that 
when we interact with educators and we talk about the importance of doing, you know, there's the phrase that I know that Chad Littlefield talks about this uh, connection before content. And, and we have our motto being connect, empower, lead. I feel like sometimes the connection part does get undermined sometimes with the intention of well, let's get to the actual stuff. You sense that a lot in technical workshops where I'm trying to teach belaying. But it is really, really core to the work that we do. Where did that notion come from your experience? Because that's always been the case when I've come to High Five, that's always been drawn into us. Where can you see that strikingly like appear in your career to say that connection was really essential? I think in some of the earliest workshops, and of course for me, it would go back to even like the late 70s. And as I was getting both learning and being trained and then participating in, in training workshops in my project adventure days and then you know, beginning to deliver them, I was always amazed at the, at the level of community building that was part of the, you know, the four or five day workshop. So before it isn't just skills, you know, the, the skills are there, but people would come away with this whole other benefit. It was like, oh my word, I, I've never really connected with a group like this. This would be them speaking now. Like I, you know, this was so much fun. I got to know people and trust them and, you know, all the very human interactive things that took place in you know, somewhat intense settings because, you know, from if you have somebody on the end of a belay rope and <laughs> and you're, they have you or whatever, you know, it's fairly dramatic. You know, it's it's perception of risk, but still it, it sort of raises the ante on how you're connecting with that person. So for me, it was as early as that. I mean, I think in my own life, it just was, I don't know, I feel like if I go back to the days I was a paper boy, I used to stand at an insurance company and give out papers on a corner next to the where the insurance company was i probably saw 300 people a day and i was only in in uh, you know 14 or something constantly saying hello to people and connecting and then you'd see them day after day week after week you know sometimes years after years so it kind of even as a young person it got me very you know an advocate of people stuff and and i think then as it played out as i experienced the adventure field i thought wow this is for me because i taught school for about four years and I don't think I was very good at it, but I was in the classroom and it was just more limiting in terms of the way you could work with people than compared to the work we do now, which is really focused on people and their development more than maybe a particular subject matter, you know, which is important, but it wasn't as important to me. So even open enrollment workshops, and you and I have talked about this over over the years, but you know, what's the simplest thing when people arrive and, you know, sometimes they see their name on the on the the, the newsprint that says "Welcome to High Five" and their name is on there, and then you know they they're not used to eating meals together, and all of a sudden they're eating meals together. Kudos to Princeton for doing a study on it, but then sometimes they say it isn't all that complicated, <laughs> you know, in terms of the simple things if we remember what they are. But I think we you know we have been deprived of them, you know, and I think there was a reference in the article about all the social media and Facebook and thinking initially this would draw people closer together. When in fact, because people start comparing themselves to what they see on Instagram and Facebook and there's like, gee, everybody's having fun, but me, you know, which is probably not entirely true because people don't put a lot of their, their bad stuff on any of those sites or something like I've always kidded. If you want to, if you want to be my friend, don't befriend me on Facebook, call me because I'll never see anybody on Facebook, but that's, that's an age related thing for sure. Yeah, it took, I think it took you uh, four years to accept my friend request on Facebook. So, um, <laughs> Don't but, take it personal. <laughs> but, 
I remember having a rock climbing experience. This was years and years ago. I probably was, you know, post-college, but went up to North Conway and was a, there was a rock climbing class and there was an instructor. Two of us went up there and one, one of the people who went with me is uh, Mark Merrill, who actually serves on our advisory board for High Five. We didn't know anything about rock climbing at the time. So we had this instructor who was just about the facts and you want everybody to know what they're knowing. But mostly we spent our time watching him perform and do his rock climbing. He barely looked at us the whole time. And I remember, you know, it was probably six hours later and we said, wow, that was a waste. We didn't learn anything and we didn't connect in any way with them. And it was probably one of the more miserable, you know, training things I can recall. And it was all just because there was no personal connection to it. Do you know what I mean? And, and you know, it's a little frightening. If this was on Cathedral Ledge in New Hampshire. That's that's quite a rock face. So you want to make sure you're doing the right things, but it just, it, it lacked like what you're saying about workshops where you, you connect with people and you feel, you know, that there's some nurturance coming from the person who's working with you. So they, they know you're there and they, you know, you're, you know, look at the technical workshops that you do and they, they want to know that you know what you're doing, but also that you care about them and you're, you know, you're having those conversations and things. So it's, you know, in my little town, it's funny, you can get the, the mail delivered to your home where you can go to the post office and get it out of your post office box. And we always go to the post office box because you'll see people. And our general store closed years ago, so you don't have the same opportunity to run into people. But, you know, you go to the post office, but it's just, you know, I think trying to think of ways that we remove contacts or do we increase contacts? And, you know, people are different about how they want that. But I think the experience we give people becomes that even that much more unique in our world. You know, you hear it so much with the edge of leadership kids in the summer because they're here for three days. And it's just astounding when you read sort of the, you say call it testimonials, but the things that students will write about their experience here and, and they come with adults from their, from their program as well who participated in the program. And it's, you know, for the 14, 15, 16 year old, it is a novel experience where they say, oh my word, I just had no idea we could spend that much time connecting with one another. And it's a pretty unrushed schedule. Uh, so leaving time for the connection piece is as important as everything else, but sometimes people don't think of it that way. So it gets dismissed or limited in the time spent, you know, trying to do something like that. And I'm not sure that's a good thing. If someone was to ask you, you know, I've got, I'm going to be leading a, a day workshop and I've got eight hours, what's the percentage of time that you would give to the connection portion versus maybe some of the content delivery? And what other things could you advise on, like how to improve the sense of community in a program? That initial time together, like you've got to establish the connection piece, you know, and kind of reading the group quickly and saying, you know, what activity can I use here? And what what's not going to intimidate people or put them off? And maybe, it's, you know, the if it's an adventure experience knowledgeable audience or not, you know, then that makes a big difference too. But I always feel like, you know, the first probably 20 to 30 minutes is, is just forming connections, getting people relaxed. Once they start smiling and laughing, I know we're good. And then you can begin to dig into the work. And I think oftentimes during the connection piece, you know, there's various activities that touch on the agenda of the day. So it's a, it's a connection piece with intentionality that's sort of priming the pump you know, there could be partner questions. Some of those partner questions are leading into where the rest of the workshop is going. And I think I did this wrong earlier in my career where I would kind of move on to the agenda pieces and and then not look back. And I think, you know, as I got older doing stuff, I was much more clear, no, this connection piece continues throughout 
you know, it's part of the full day. It may not be as you get into the, you know, the, whatever the, the major goals are and things like that, it's still revolving around, well, how are people communicating about it? But, you know, and almost not like, you know, <laughs> when you think of our field is people say, well, this is the program part and this is the debrief part. I've never quite thought of it that way as much as it just being all integrated and merged. And if you can do that in a pretty smooth way, it just seems like a, a better way of making all the conversations happen because you know, you've probably done it. You can announce, okay, now we're going to talk about the thing that we did. And that, that can get old pretty quickly. I always thought it was fun to just when people thought you were going to debrief something, you don't just move on. And they're like, Hey, what, what the heck's going on? We're, aren't we going to talk about this? I said, no, not this time. <laughs> You know, keep, keep them guessing, but I don't think I ever left, let the connection piece move away from anything I was doing. And then of course, at the end of the day too, the connections become a little bit deeper because now what was the experience of the day and probably has a little more relevance to their experience. It's partly the intention around this podcast to create a little bit more community, but of course it's a really a kind of a one way, a medium, like you're listening to me, but I'm not, we're not talking to each other. A question that got asked to me by Candace Brendler, who is the Outdoor Action Program Coordinator at Princeton, was just around this notion of how do we create the next generation of people in this industry? What are your thoughts on like people entering the field and how we can maybe work and create a, a greater community? Just recently, we hired a new person in our Challenge Pro Services Department. And I was meeting with that team a couple of weeks ago, just to, they were doing a retreat day or two. And he was referencing his interview experience at High Five. And he said something like, wow, I have never had an interview like that. He just said there was such opportunity for understanding who the, what the place was and who the people were and, and connecting with them. And he, you know, he has some adventure background, but he was just comparing it to what that looked like and felt like in the past. And it was light years different. So I, I think get it, help, trying to help people understand that that's an integral part of the programming. Meaning you, can, you can't really be, you know, when we spend time at High Five trying to experience connections and what all that means to us here, then that just segues into you as a facilitator or me as a facilitator or anyone else. Whereas if we didn't do it here and we were the opposite of the very things we're saying, well, connection's really important. We don't have time for it. It would be, you know, that person trying to deliver it would be very challenged. And I, I can think, when the whole commercial industry sort of emerged and, you know, I think for it's, I don't think it's ever run really parallel with the adventure education world as it's because it basically it's pay your money and pay to play kind of thing. But that wasn't necessarily trying to promote or even have the time for give the people the experience. It didn't have to do a lot with connecting. So I think it's almost not retooling people, but allowing people to understand that this is a huge part of what their work should be when they're working with the group, but they have to develop their own skills in doing that. Just because you think it's important doesn't mean you're comfortable with it. You know, I've always said, don't ever play a game you're not comfortable with because the group will see right through it and they'll hate it. And you're going to think the day is crashing and burning. So you have to enjoy the game or activity you're going to do. And then it, it oozes separate from the activity They just say, wow, the person just seems to enjoy their work. And that has an effect on the group as well. So I, I think the new generation coming into this, give them the experience to say, wow, I just didn't even realize that was a part of what we would be doing, whether it's, you said, you know, building the relationship or, you know, we did have, you know, we used to experience like three meals a day at high five with an open enrollment workshop, but now it's probably 
one and a half or two or something like that. So it's a little bit of a reduced community experience, but then there's some things, you know, that we're doing in the evening and people have a little bit of homework, which, you know, it takes place on their own as opposed to a group, but, you know, there's probably things they connect with obviously the next day about. So I think it's just not being afraid to hold on to those things as being a critical part of what humans need. And I think that's why the New York Times article is, okay, so we move past that. We don't need it anymore. Not true. You know, when will we ever not need connections and relationships? That's basically life. And I, and again, going back to my last 18 months, I mean, boy, did I experience that. I always knew it was true, but oof, I really knew it was true after the last 18 months, that's for sure. Somebody at High Five sent me some Ubuntu cards and I had them in, in my room. And, you know, the nurses commit all the time and, you you know, you know them and you keep talking and it's kind of the same thing. But then we started using the Ubuntu cards to find out what we had in common beyond that. And then word quickly spread. If you go to that room, you're going to get to play a game kind of thing. And it was fun. But I think just not being afraid of that. I mean, and they were all business. I mean, they're just supposed to take your vitals and get the heck out of the room and move on to the next person. But in general, they want to relate. I mean, they they understand the importance of that. So I think just never the new generation of people coming in, not being dismissive of the importance of it. We include that as an important part of how we're bringing people into the field and what's so powerful about it. To wrap this, I'm going to just say the last part of the article and then just reference something we at High Five are are looking forward to in the new year embarking in. Solutions to loneliness are like that, little nudges to encourage us to mingle the way we evolved to. They're so easy and loneliness seems so debilitating that we should be doing more. So President Biden, now I have to mention, of course, he's a listener of this podcast, so he'll hear this. How about creating a senior government post analogous to a minister of loneliness and mayors and governors? How about some chatty benches in America's parks, along with volunteers deputized to bring us out? for nature walks and sing-alongs. So referencing what we're looking towards to do in the new year, we are working high five on a scholarship fund with the intention of trying to help the new generation of people who are coming into this field, give them options to be able to come to open enrollment workshops. And we're also looking into cohort models and mentorship programs. We're still in the early stages of it, but it was a big announcement made at our last retreat that this is something that we're working towards which I, for one, am very excited about because there's lots of people who need our support. And I think that we can offer that both in this community of listeners, but also um, in this industry. So that's something to be excited about. I'm excited that we're taking that on. Well, it was interesting. You sent me a video and it was a lot of the people that were referenced in the article in the New York Times. And they all had like a quick one sentence recommendation, like, what do you need to do? And I think if you summed it, summed it up in one of them, it was just like, reach out and call, talk to somebody, call somebody. And I, I, you know, sometimes it's just the simplest thing that, that I think we don't even think about and, and, and it really creates a, you know, a reaction for the other person. I sent a text off to somebody today just saying, you know, thank you so much for your support the last 18 months and how they were, you know, their friendship and support. And there were many, many people, but it was a game changer. You know, it just, so I, I think it's, sometimes we get hesitant. I don't know if I can, I don't want to bother the person this or that. I don't think it's ever a bother. It's always a good idea. As you finish up this episode, wherever you are, grab your phone and call someone and connect. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving. I think I'll pass the guy.